In the first of what should be many moves to open up cap space, the Seahawks may have created a bit more clarity for the quarterback position. I'll be breaking it all down in our Blue Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. A special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're listening in nearby Moses Lake, Washington, or in Little Rock, Arkansas. Greatly appreciate each and every one of you for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. The Seahawks announced 15 new coaching hires for Mike McDonald's staff yesterday. I'm going to be diving into what looks to be close or potentially a finalized coaching staff for the Seattle Seahawks under their new head coach. Plus, is Drew Locke destined to come back for a third season in Seattle as we continue our free agency primers? It's going to be a jam-packed episode, so let's get to it. Now for your lead story here on our Blue Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks. Going into the 2024 offseason, the Seahawks have one of the worst salary cap situations in the NFL. Now, as we've discussed in earlier episodes, there certainly are a number of ways the Seahawks can get in a much healthier position salary cap-wise. There are a lot of teams that are in worse situations when you dig deeper into their financials, but the Seahawks are going to have to make a number of moves, and they made their first one yesterday, restructuring Geno Smith's contract, his roster bonus of $9.6 million due on March 18th, being turned into a signing bonus that was paid to him immediately. That created a little over $4 million in cap space. The Seahawks are still technically in the red for effective cap space, according to overthecap.com. But this decision allows the Seahawks to start that process of creating some cap space so they can re-sign some of their own players, maybe make some signings in free agency of outside free agents, and of course, potentially pursue some trades as well. So this is going to be the first of what I expect to be several moves as far as what it means for Geno Smith and the quarterback situation. As we've talked about in earlier episodes, I felt like the fact that the Seahawks allowed Geno Smith's base salary to lock in, that was the first sign of some clarification on what the Seahawks plan to do at quarterback, but it certainly did not prevent a trade from happening with Geno Smith being a fairly affordable starting quarterback in the NFL. Before yesterday, he had the 12th highest cap hit among quarterbacks in the NFL in 2024. It now has dropped down to 15th with this move. So this doesn't necessarily mean that the Seahawks are not open for business if the right offer is presented to them for Geno Smith. But based on what we've heard from Mike McDonald and Ryan Grubb and some things that I've heard from various team sources This move here happening the way that it did yesterday, this is a major sign to me that the Seahawks are ready to move forward with Geno Smith as their starter in 2024. I think all along that's where things have been trending. I do think the Seahawks were kind of floating the idea out there for teams. Hey, he's available if you want to make us an offer, but I don't think that that offer was ever going to be what the Seahawks valued Geno Smith for. They weren't going to be getting a first-round pick, probably not even a second-round pick for a 33, soon-to-be 34-year-old quarterback, even coming off of back-to-back Pro Bowl seasons. And I have mentioned this a few times in the show. I feel like Geno Smith's skill set, when you look at what Michael Penix 
brings to the table. They're very similar players in how they throw the football, their strengths. I think in Ryan Grubb's offense that Geno Smith can do a lot of damage. You look at the salary cap situation in the NFL right now at the quarterback position. As I mentioned, with this move, Geno Smith's cap hit goes from $31.2 million in 2024 down to just a little bit over $26 million. So he goes from the 12th highest paid quarterback by cap hit to 15th. This truly puts him in the middle of the pack among NFL quarterbacks, and it creates the type of flexibility that any team would love to have with a quality starting quarterback. And that's what Geno Smith is. He's not elite, but he's been a pro bowler the last two years. Statistically, he is in the top five or six quarterbacks in most, most major stats. Aside from missing two games in December, he's been very durable as well. So when you consider some of the other quarterbacks in the league that have much bigger cap hits, just look at who's at number six for the New York Giants. Daniel Jones coming off a torn ACL. His cap hit for 2024 is $47.2 million. Russell Wilson, who isn't expected to be on the Denver Broncos, has a $35.4 million cap hit. The Broncos are going to have to eat a lot of money to move on from him. And even at the number four spot, Kyler Murray played a handful of games last year, but he's coming off of a torn ACL that caused him to miss most of last season. And so that 51.4 million cap hit for him, that is going to be something that has a negative impact on the Arizona Cardinals as they try to build around their quarterback as well. So the Seahawks with a 26 plus million dollar cap hit for their quarterback, they are certainly in a much better position. And as I've mentioned, I love the fit here, at least short term, Ryan Grubb working with Geno Smith. When you consider his strengths, he's been one of the best deep ball throwers in the NFL the last two seasons. Even the couple games he started in place of Russell Wilson back in the 2021 season, he demonstrated that ability to throw the ball downfield with proficiency and accuracy. He has been among league leaders in big time throws in PFF metrics. In 2022, he led the league with 14 touchdown passes that traveled through the air 20 or more yards. So he has been the prolific downfield passer that Ryan Grubb likes to have in his offense, what Michael Penix did for Washington the last couple of years. His accuracy, he led the league in completion rate two years ago. Now, he dipped down this season 65.5%, though, is still pretty darn good, especially when you consider that Seattle's passing game has been heavily predicated on those shot plays downfield. That is an acceptable completion rate. And the fact he only threw two interceptions in his last seven starts, he was as good as any quarterback in the league in those last seven games that he played in. So I think you just look at the skill set. You look at what he's accomplished the last couple of years. You can make a very sound argument that Geno Smith should be the starter. There's not a better option for the Seahawks to get, even in the draft. At pick number 16, they're going to be hard-pressed to be able to get that QB that is going to be able to come in on day one and start. At the same time, you're looking down the road. Geno Smith is going to be 34 next season, so there's certainly reason to believe that this is still a short-term option. He's not the franchise guy. So those two things don't have to be exclusive. You can be really happy and content with what you have at quarterback right now, and you can still draft a QB that you can slot in to develop behind him in a year or two from now. You could have that quarterback take over, or maybe they wait another season. It could be 2025 or even 2026 before the Seahawks invest a high draft pick in that future quarterback. Geno Smith gives them that flexibility at the same time with that cap hit being as low as it is the Seahawks could still potentially move Smith if the right deal was floated to them before the start of the league year and they could move him. But I think based on the fact that they restructured this contract 
when they did. This is not something they had to rush to do right this moment. They could have waited till the new league year started. That signing bonus, the roster bonus, did not kick in until March 18th. So that would have given them a few days there. If they felt like there wasn't going to be a trade, they could have made the move then, right when the league year starts to make sure that they're cap compliant. But this move was made, I think, in part because the Seahawks they wanted that cap flexibility, and they also feel confident in Geno Smith being their starting quarterback. So while I'm not going to sit here and say this 100% guarantees that Geno Smith is a starter under center, I'm confident to go at 98%. I will leave a little wiggle room that because the cap hit is low, there could be another quarterback needy team. I'll mention this later in the show. There are a lot of teams that could use an upgrade at the quarterback position going into the next season. If one of those teams floats a deal that John Schneider cannot turned down a godfather type deal, then certainly the Seahawks could still trade Geno Smith and it would not destroy their salary cap. It would open up plenty more space for them if they wanted to do that. But I'm very confident at this point with this decision being made, I don't think they would have done a restructure if they intended to move Geno Smith. I anticipate that he is going to be the starter under center for Ryan Grubb and the Seahawks next season. So this does provide a little bit of clarity, in my opinion, at the quarterback spot. Up next, speaking of clarity, Mike McDonald now has a 23-coach staff. We're going to look at the latest officially announced hirings on offense and defense for the Seahawks. A nice blend of experience and first-timers coming to the NFL. Don't go away. You're listening to the Blue Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by Nissan. Are you the kind of driver that likes to push things a little further? Have you ever wondered what adventure could be around the next corner? Our friends at Nissan have a lineup of SUVs with the capabilities to take your adventure to the next level. Take, for example, the 2024 Nissan Rogue. It's perfect for city drives and great escapes. It's got built-in Google Assistant, Google Maps, Google Play Store on its 12.3-inch HD touchscreen infotainment system. And then the 2024 Rogue, just to say it's the perfect mid-size crossover for your next adventure. The 2024 Nissan Armada is also another really enticing option. It'll change what you expect from a full-size SUV. Picture a rugged 4x4 that can seat up to 8 in first-class luxury and style. Tow bigger and explore further in the 2024 Armada. Take the Nissan Rogue, Nissan Pathfinder, or Nissan Armada and go find that next big adventure you're looking for. Shop NissanUSA.com. You're listening to the Blue Friday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. A special thanks to each and every one of the 12s out there. Thank you for tuning in on this early edition of Blue Friday here on Locked on Seahawks. And thank you for making Locked on Seahawks your first lesson five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Make sure to check out Locked on's first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Locked on Sports Today is here for your 24-7 coverage of the top sports stories of the day with our local experts from Locked On Plus national shows covering every league. Go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. Over the last couple of weeks, Mike McDonald's coaching staff has slowly started to take shape. There have been a lot of different varying reports out there trickling in on coaches that were going to join Mike McDonald's staff. But up until yesterday, only eight of those coaches had officially been announced by the Seahawks. That has now changed. Seattle releasing an announcement with 15 coaches added to the staff, pushing the total to 23 coaches for the Seahawks. That is the same number that they had last year 
under Pete Carroll. There are still a few positions that I could see being filled. I don't see a strength conditioning coach either. So I anticipate there will be a few more names added to this here in the near future. Can have a little bigger staff than what Pete Carroll had in his last season with the Seahawks. But nonetheless, this looks to be very close to being a finalized coaching staff for the Seahawks. And we've mentioned this a lot on the show, and I'm going to continue to hammer home the point. When you have three first-time coordinators, as the Seahawks do, you need to have experience with your other assistant coaches. And I think that John Schneider and Mike McDonald have done a really good job of balancing the intriguing young coaches with experienced, savvy coaches that have been through the wars, that they have been around all the blocks. They know what to expect in the NFL, and they've done a good job of that across the board. Let's look at the offensive side of the football, for example. You've got a first-time coordinator in Ryan Grubb who has incredible upside. We've seen the offenses that he has coached at the college level at Fresno State and Washington an incredibly intelligent offensive mind now gets his chance to bring his play calling talents to the NFL level. But look at some of the coaches that the Seahawks have added underneath him on his staff to help navigate this first year coming to the NFL. Jake Peets has been both in college and the NFL as the passing game coordinator. He was with Nick Saban two different times at Alabama. The last two years, he was with Sean McVay as a pass game specialist with the Rams. And then you've got Charles London. I know he's only been a quarterback coach for the last three years, but he has 14 years of prior NFL experience. He's been a running back coach for a number of years. He's also been involved with setting up game planning and play calling strategy. So Charles London brings a lot of experience to the Seahawks in a variety of positions. And then you have Kennedy Palomalu going into his 14th season as an NFL running back coach. He's had 7,000 yard rushers. He has had two runners that finished in the top three in rushing yards. Dalvin Cook, and most recently Josh Jacobs, over 1,600 yards, won the rushing title for the Raiders two years ago. So he has an incredible resume at the running back position. He's also been an offensive coordinator previously at USC. He's coached special teams, so another well-rounded coach. You bring in coaches like that around a first-time coordinator, that is, to me, the way to go about this. You had to have some guys who have been in the league understand what it takes to win in this league, and a number of those coaches, they have coached for teams that have made deep playoff runs. Palomalu did it with the Vikings a couple of times. Jake Peets with the Rams last year, they were able to get back to the postseason when a lot of people were expecting they were going to be down with the number of stars that they lost in the offseason. So you've got some guys here that have been around winning programs at the college and NFL level, and they understand what it takes to be able to get to the postseason and go on deep runs. They needed to have this kind of experience. And then you look at the offensive line. This might be the new hiring that had not been rumored up until yesterday that I'm most excited about. You have a first-time offensive line coach in Scott Huff, who I think is a very good offensive line coach. You look at what he did at Washington the last couple of seasons. They have had one of the premier O-lines in all of college football. That played into the success of Ryan Grubb's offense. They've got at least two, maybe three of those offensive linemen from last year's team that are going to get drafted this year. A couple of them could be early rounds. So he has done a great job. But again, this is his first time in the NFL. This is a big jump for any positional coach. Bring in Brendan Nugent, who has been an offensive line coach, not an assistant. He has been an offensive line coach in the NFL for nearly a decade. The last two years, he was the Chargers offensive line coach. 
from 2015 to 2021, he was the Saints offensive line coach. And the Saints during that time had some of the very best offensive lines in the NFL protecting Drew Brees towards the end of his career. And so you bring him in as a resource, an offensive line assistant to really mentor Scott Huff as he makes this jump. Not only that, he's just going to, on his own accord, he is going to make the offensive line that much better because of his past experience and some of the teams that he has coached. And so I absolutely love this addition. And then on the other side of the coin, you've got some young coaches they're bringing in that don't have a lot of experience, like Tyson Prince, for example, who was with Sacramento State last year. He previously was on Ryan Grubb's offensive staff at Washington in 2022. He only has one prior year of NFL experience, but he's going to be an assistant receiver coach. He gets to work with Frisman Jackson, who has five prior seasons in the NFL, coaching the position. And then you bring in Quinshawn Odom, who has got a few years of NFL experience to do the O-line quality control. So they actually have two quality control coaches, Zach Hill, his first year in the NFL, a lot of college experience as an OC and a QB coach at Boise State and Arizona State. He was also at Eastern Washington, former Central Washington quarterback that threw a bunch of touchdowns for the Wildcats. So he is very familiar with the Pacific Northwest and the state of Washington. You've got a really nice blend of experienced coaches and incoming first-time young coaches that really can learn from those experienced coaches. So from that aspect, I like what the Seahawks have done here. I'm also excited on the defensive side of the football with some of the moves that have been made on Adam Durday's staff. And most of this staff had already been announced. Leslie Frazier, we've known about him being the assistant head coach, really since Mike McDonald got the job. It was only about 24 hours after that that Leslie Frazier decided to pick the Seahawks instead of the three other teams that reportedly were interested in bringing him on board as an assistant head coach, 24 previous seasons of NFL experience. This is the kind of mentor you need for a defensive head coach. Like Mike McDonald, who was in his first run as a head coach in the league. They've worked together previously in Baltimore. Carl Scott, the only holdover from Pete Carroll's staff, is in his fourth season in the NFL, but he's been with Nick Saban at Alabama he has had success developing young cornerbacks with Reek Woolen and Devin Witherspoon. His return made sense. And then Justin Hines, the defensive line coach coming in, he was an assistant with the Bears who had, I believe, the number one rushing defense in the NFL last year. So that should provide a little bit of excitement for Seahawks fans. What I'm most intrigued by, though, is what the Seahawks have done at the linebacker spot. We don't know who's going to be playing there at this point with Bobby Wagner, Devin Bush, and Jordan Brooks all being free agents, but you have Kirk Olivadotti, who is going to be in his 22nd season coaching in the NFL. The majority of that he's been coaching linebackers has an incredible track record, much like Kennedy Palomalu. It seems like everywhere he's been, he's been able to develop top-notch linebackers. We saw what he did in Green Bay, turning Devondre Campbell into a first-team All-Pro. Quay Walker had a breakout season playing for him last season. So whoever's going to be at linebacker for the Seahawks should be in good shape with him as an inside linebackers coach. And then they brought in Josh Vines, who's never coached in the NFL, but he played a decade, uh, actually a dozen seasons in the NFL. A lot of those in Baltimore playing for Mike McDonald. Now he's going to transition into a coaching spot. So again, it's that dynamic, a very experienced coach and a first time coach that can learn from that coach. So I'm excited for Josh Vines to get that opportunity. And then Chris Partridge, who there's some controversy here. He was fired by Michigan last season with the sign stealing stuff that came out. And so there's certainly going to be some discussion about 
his arrival in Seattle, but there's no question about his coaching talent. This guy knows how to coach football, and he's going to be the outside linebackers coach. He's previously worked with Mike McDonald that one year. He was the defensive coordinator at Michigan. So there are links here. He is certainly a talented coach, but that is the one hiring here that might leave some fans scratching their heads a little bit because of what his past is like, what happened last year with him ultimately being the fall guy with that sign-stealing thing that ultimately led to a three-game suspension for head coach Jim Harbaugh. But Michigan still got to compete for the national title and ended up winning the championship over Washington. Now he gets to take his talents to the NFL as an outside linebacker coach. Looking at the rest of the staff, Jeff Howard, as I talked about yesterday, he has coached for almost a decade, or actually he's coached 11 years in the NFL previously, most of those being with the Minnesota Vikings. He was brought in by Leslie Frazier to come to the league for the first time when Frazier was the head coach of the Vikings. He's coached safeties. He's coached linebackers. He has been a defensive pass game coordinator and had a lot of success in that position with the Cleveland Browns. And then he got a couple of young guys here in Nick Perry and Rob Caprice. Perry has been with the Falcons the last three years. He's now going to be your defensive quality coach. And Caprice comes from Tennessee where he was a graduate assistant. He has the defensive intern label here on Mike McDonald's staff. So another raw young coach coming in to learn from a number of experienced coaches of the Seahawks. Again, I love the balance that we see here. And even on special teams, Jay Harbaugh's got three prior seasons in the NFL, but he's never been a special teams coordinator. So you bring in Devin Fitzsimmons to help him out. And Fitzsimmons has 10 years of experience as a special teams assistant in the NFL. So you have that contrast, a high upside coordinator coming in, and bringing in an experienced assistant that can help that coach navigate the waters in their first season in a much tougher position than the one that they previously held, either at the college or NFL level. So I think the Seahawks have done a really good job of trying to mix and match their experience at a number of positions with some young coaches. They have a lot of upside, could have very high ceilings. Now the question is, how is it going to come together? They are going to be spending the next several weeks getting ready for this upcoming season with OTAs starting, the offseason program starting on April 8th. New coaches get to start earlier than the rest of the league. So Mike McDonald's staff, they're going to be fast-tracking to get ready for that. So they will not be at the Combine, according to John Schneider. Won't get to hear from Mike McDonald at Indianapolis. They are going to be, what I believe, taking a one-year break there because this is a critical time to make sure that the staff is on the same page. They got everybody hired here. Let's move forward and get ready for the 2024 season and what's going to be a very important offseason, getting players to buy in with a new coaching staff. Up next, Geno Smith is currently on the roster, probably going to be the starting quarterback, but there's still questions about who's going to be his backup. And it sounds like Seattle would like to bring back Drew Locke for a third season. Is that a realistic possibility? However, I'm going to be diving in our latest free agent preview here on our Blue Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is now brought your way from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Life can be full of twists and turns and throw a few wrenches at you at unexpected times, so it's important to lead yourself through it all and put a focus on your mental health. BetterHelp Online Therapy will assess your needs. It can match you with your own licensed professional therapist in less than 48 hours. 
Therapy has worked wonders for me over the past few years with my family having a lot of health-related issues. But don't just take my word for it. Having someone in your corner to guide you when you're struggling to navigate obstacles can be invaluable. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online, and it's available to people worldwide. With therapy, it can take a few tries to find the right fit for you. BetterHelp is a great way to invest in yourself, and BetterHelp has a special offer for our listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash locked on. That's 10% off your first month of online therapy at betterhelp.com slash locked on. You're listening to the Blue Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This is your host, Corbin Smith. A special thanks here early on this Blue Friday to all the 12s listening in and making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. With free agency just around the corner, we are closing in on the start of March. Free agency kicks off on March 13th. Going to continue diving into Seattle's unrestricted free agents, going back to the offensive side of the football. And with a player who probably is not going to be starting, but has a lot of value still to the Seattle Seahawks, if you've been paying attention to comments from Mike McDonald and most recently Ryan Grubb, It is clear that the Seahawks have interest in bringing back their entire quarterback room, and that includes Drew Locke, who showed his value last year. He started a couple games in December in place of Geno Smith. He led an opening touchdown drive against the 49ers in Santa Clara. They unfortunately ended up losing that game, but I thought Locke had some really good shining moments in that game. And then the following week on Monday Night Football leads a game-winning drive, throws a touchdown a perfectly placed deep ball to Jackson Smith and Jigba to send the Eagles back to Philadelphia with a primetime loss. So you have seen some of the flashes. We've seen the arm talent. There's never been a question about Drew Locke's physical tools. Coming out of Missouri as a second-round pick back in 2019 for the Denver Broncos, he's got as good of an arm as you're going to see, the ability to throw the ball downfield. He's a very athletic player for a player of his size, very underrated athlete who can move the pocket. We've seen all these things in his limited action with the Seahawks. And I do think he's made some improvements compared to earlier in his career when it comes to his decision-making. That said, he still threw three interceptions in his limited time for the Seahawks. There were a few other plays that easily could have turned into picks as well. So that is still an area of his game that looks to be a little bit of a war, even if he has shown improvement and completed almost 70% of his passes in the two starts that he had late in the year for the Seahawks. There's just those occasional brain farts that still happen where you trust the arm too much or you just don't read coverage correctly. Those have been the things that have held Drew Locke back to this point. You look at the numbers this season for Locke. He played in four games. He had two starts, 543 passing yards, three touchdowns, and he completed 63.2% of his passes. It was a much higher rate in the two games that he started. It is tough as hell to come in in the NFL cold off the bench and play well as a quarterback. We've seen some guys that can do that as pinch hitters, but Locke had some struggles in the game against the Giants and the Rams where he was able to check in for a banged-up Geno Smith. The two starts he had, he was much better from a completion percentage, and he got those weeks to actually get prepared to play, which he didn't have the opportunity to do in the two games he subbed in in the second half with Smith being banged up. So, We got to see both sides. We got to see the ability to come in in the middle of the game. We got to see a couple of spot starts for Drew Locke. He's only 26 going on 27. So he's still a very young quarterback, and he clearly has the physical tools. So 
there are going to be potentially some teams out there that may have interest in signing him at least to compete for a starting job or to be a bridge quarterback for a young QB. And you look at the number of teams out there right now that need a quarterback. The list is certainly a long one. And it starts with in the AFC East, you've got the New England Patriots who don't really have a quarterback on their roster right now. Bailey Zappi is the incumbent. Mac Jones is still on the roster, but he's been benched about 15 times the last two years. So it's hard to believe that the Patriots, where they do coaching staff, are going to put are going to put either one of those guys back in the lineup. And in the AFC North, Pittsburgh's Kenny Pickett experiment has not worked out to this point. There's a lot of rumors they will be in the market looking for a new quarterback. So maybe that would be a place that could be a landing spot for Drew Locke. And then in the AFC West, you got two teams. I don't think Denver's bringing him back. Russell Wilson's going to be gone, but. I don't, I don't see Denver bringing Drew Locke back with Sean Payton as the head coach. Maybe the Raiders would consider that possibility with their number one quarterback right now being Aiden O'Connell. They could certainly look to bring in Drew Locke to compete against O'Connell and or a rookie quarterback. And then you go to the NFC in the East. The Washington Commanders is Sam Howell, your guy. They have a high draft pick, so they're probably going to be picking one of the top quarterbacks in this year's draft. And the New York Giants, Daniel Jones, I mentioned that $40-plus million dead cap hit or cap hit that he would have this year, and he's coming off a torn ACL. The Giants could be in the market for a new quarterback and definitely have buyer's remorse after giving that massive contract to Daniel Jones after the 2022 season. And in the North, Chicago's going to probably draft Caleb Williams to address their quarterback situation. But Minnesota does not have a starter under contract right now. And Kevin O'Connell's offense, I could potentially see Drew Locke as a bridge gap, being a guy that could make some sense for Minnesota with a young quarterback. And in the South, you've got a couple teams that don't have a starter right now. Tampa Bay, I expect to re-sign Baker Mayfield. But if they don't, that is a possibility there. Maybe Carolina to go with Bryce Young because Dave Canales is there. Maybe that would make sense for Drew Locke to reunite with him in Atlanta. Desmond Ritter, is he going to be your guy long-term? The Falcons could be in the market for a new quarterback as well. So there's a lot of teams out there that could be looking for a quarterback, and that could lead to some decent offers for Drew Locke. And I don't think the Seahawks have the flexibility to be able to bring in a backup quarterback for the contract that they gave him even last year four million dollars maybe they can find a way to make that work but cost is definitely going to be the issue here with Locke. if there is a starting opportunity he is going to go take advantage of that at this stage of his career it may be the last chance that he has but if he doesn't have any strong offer offers like he did last offseason there weren't any strong offers with him not playing any snap for the Seahawks in the 2022 season then Seattle could be in the driver's seat to bring him back because he has enjoyed his time in Seattle. He and Geno Smith have a really good relationship. And depending on what happens with Geno Smith, you know, maybe this is a situation where Drew Locke could get some snaps this upcoming season. We don't know how all this is going to play out. I'd be surprised if that's the route it goes unless Geno Smith gets banged up again. But the Seahawks just seem to be very interested in keeping this quarterback room together. And they could draft a quarterback to go with those two as well. But this at this point feels like it is truly a 50-50 proposition with Geno Smith being under contract with Seattle, not having a second round pick, having a huge gap between their first rounder and their two third rounders. Who knows if they're going to draft a quarterback early in April's draft. If they do some trading down, maybe they get a QB in the second round that way. But 
At this point, we don't know what that strategy is going to be for the Seattle Seahawks. We don't know what the other interest league-wide is going to be in Drew Locke. Are those two starts he had in December going to be enough to sway a team to throw some more money at him as a potential starting option in 2024? We'll have to wait until free agency opens to see if that's going to be a possibility. But if there isn't a starting job out there for Drew Locke to compete for and there's not going to be a deal that ends up blowing away what the Seahawks can provide him as a backup, then I could certainly see the door being reopened for Drew Locke to return to Seattle. The Seahawks mutually appear to have interest in doing that. So this really boils down to the interest that there is in the market from other teams and it boils down to what ultimately is the draft plan for the Seattle Seahawks as well. Number of the teams that I mentioned, they are drafting much higher than the Seahawks, so they could be in a position to draft their quarterback in the future, and that may eliminate them from potentially looking at Drew Locke too. So this is one of those wild cards for the Seahawks in free agency, but obviously from a scheme fit, again, he's got the big arm. He can throw the ball downfield, underrated athlete. You can see why Ryan Grubb would be intrigued by the opportunity to be able to work with him, even if he's not going to be the starting quarterback. If there's not another option out there, why not come back to Seattle? So I think the door is very much still open for this to happen. At the same time, all it takes is one team having some interest in him competing for a starting job and maybe offering a little more money than Seattle feasibly can, and it would make sense for him to go elsewhere. So again, this really is a wild card. We'll see what only happens. I think the Seahawks want to have Drew Locke and Geno Smith both on the roster for next season. That may or may not be feasible, though, depending on how things play out early in the free agency period. As always, you can follow me on X and Threads at Corbin Smith NFL. Make sure to follow and subscribe Locked on Seahawks on YouTube and wherever you listen to your podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode. When we come back on Monday, it's going to be Mock Draft Monday, and it's going to be the first one this year where we're going to be looking through a few fan-submitted mock drafts. So make sure you're checking out my social media and submitting those when I put the post up later today. Thanks for listening, and enjoy your weekend. Go Hawks!